The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. Coach O and Joe Burrows and the LSU Tigers are national champions, which ends the 150th season of college football. We'll recap the national championship game as well as. The 150 as a whole, right here, tonight. The NFL playoffs, the divisional rounds have ended. A little shock and awe when it comes to the playoffs. We'll talk about that tonight on the program. As well as the Hall of Fame inductions and the Hall of Fame candidates that will be going into Canton have been announced. We'll talk about them tonight. The Jackets have found... Their man, I think, between the pipes. And it's Luis Elvis Malinkus, not Corpusalo. He's got two shutouts under his belt now. The Jackets continue to run with Elvis in the between the pipes. Because he's in the building. And Gerard Gallant is fired for the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll talk a little bit more about that. As well as the walleye not finding the right type of fuel to beat Indianapolis. And the Cyclones continue their run. If you're in line right now at Krispy Kreme Donuts in Toledo, the first Krispy Kreme in over a decade. It should be two decades. Get ready. Turn it up. Because it's time for All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot and a goal. 54 runs in the span of the Shut out. Dumbino hit to a home run. Go! Jack. That's way back. Put some extra relish on my hot dog. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Choo-choo, it's time for All Andy Alfred. And with that, I say, I love you guys. And welcome in to another edition of All Andy Alfred right here on your exclusive home for me, the Anchor Network. And that is with the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Bleaker, however you listen, wherever, whenever, and however you listen, Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for tuning into our program this evening. As you can always be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred as well as on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. So welcome into the program. We've been off the air. Of course, AllAndyAlfred's been off the air for the last two weeks. It is a part of the new format. We're going to talk about that right now. So... Every two weeks, Andy and Money comes on the program, and it's yours truly, and Nick the Money Man DeVera. We do a podcast every two weeks, 
And in between those time frames, we're going to be filling in with all Andy Elford, of course. So you'll get my take a little bit in, on the week's events. And so you get a full week of our po- of podcast, whether it be my show or our show together. It truly is one stop once you hit the subscribe button. Every show that comes up, you get to listen to it. It is worth listening to, and uh, it's truly a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. A lot to get into tonight. Of course, we'll do the walleye roundup as they have their woes against Indianapolis. Cannot get the puck in the back of the net. Cannot get a win at home. And for the first time in a long time, they get swept at home in three straight games. We'll talk about that going forward. Also, we'll have the jacket report as well. Elvis Merlinkus between the pipes getting the job done. For the Jackets, we'll talk about that as they went on the West Coast and they had Boston last night. And we'll talk about that game because I got a lot to get into that with that in just a little bit, as well as we'll talk a little bit about Andy Rance. But like I said, you follow us right here on Twitter. It is at all Andy Elford. It is at all Andy Elford on Twitter. So, first and foremost, let's begin with the national championship. I think. It was one of the best national championships games I've seen in maybe four or five years. Two teams that are competitive, two teams that were that had a lot of stories, a lot of information, a lot of you know, good things coming out of their programs. One, you have Clemson, the defending national champion, Trevor Lawrence, Dabo Sweeney, you know, the juggernaut that is Clemson. You know, I felt like Clemson would have won this game. They had the game won, basically. They had the game won, mostly. And it was just... They took their foot off of the pedal when it comes to the game. And LSU and Joe Burrows, the kid out of Athens, Ohio, with Coach Ed Orderon, saw a way... And they just kept plugging their offense and kept plugging and plugging. And look what happens. They win a national championship. And the the key thing, what I like about this national championship game more than anything else, is the fact that LSU made the corrections that they needed to do and they capitalized on the corrections. Sure, it was all Clemson. Most of the game, seventeen to seven, and seventeen to seven, midway point of the of the second quarter. But then LSU made the adjustments, made the connections, and scored two touch, three touchdowns in the second quarter, and never looked back. They never looked back in the game. They had their foot on the gas. It was 28-17 at halftime. And I was I was sitting watching the game with my fiance Amanda, my both my parents. I I turned to her and I said to her I said cuz she she cuz she doesn't watch this. I told her I said you watch and see after the third possession for LSU for me. I thought that and they went three and out. LSU pinned them back so many times. In their own, in their own, near their own end zone, I said to myself, 
That's how Clemson's going to win this game. They're just going to shut down Burroughs. They're going to shut them down. And sure enough, Burroughs and Coach O figure out a way. And they make readjustments. And they just capitalize on the readjustments that they made. And they win the game. Not just beating them, but you know, beating them pretty handily. I thought Clemson had... I thought after they stopped them for a third time, I thought that Clemson was going to win the football game. And you can't, you can't just settle for a field goal. You just can't. Especially in a national championship game. You just can't. And sure enough, Joe Burrows throws for five touchdown passes. He runs in for another. And he is Mr. Heisman. And gives Louisiana State University a national championship. Beating Clemson 42-25 to in the game. Trevor Lawrence, 18 for 37. 234 total yards. He had no touchdowns, no interceptions. It was all on the ground. It was uh, Lawrence running it as well. 10 yards. 10, 10 carries for 49 yards, 1 TDs. Higgins, 1 carry, 36 yards, 1 TD in the game. Elidi, 15 carries, 78 yards, 1 TD in the game. For Burroughs, for LSU, 31 for 49, 463 total yards, 5 TDs in the game. Edwards, 16 carries for 110 yards. Burroughs running into himself, 14 carries, 58 yards, 1 TD in the game. Chase, nine receptions, 221 total yards of offense, two TDs in the game. Marshall Jr., three catches, 46 yards, one TD in the game. Randy Moss's son, five receptions, 36 yards, two TDs in the game. That's, what, what else is there for me to say? What else is there for me to say? For Clemson and the receiving... Ross, five receptions, 76 yards, no TDs. Galloway, two catches, 60 yards, no TDs. Higgins, three catches, 52 yards, no TDs in the game. The overall team stats looked like this. Clemson had 23 first downs to LSU's 29. On third down, LSU, four for 14. Clemson, one for 11. On converting on third down. That shows you how good the defense is. Clemson a perfect 100% on fourth down, one for one. Clemson did not, uh, LSU one for one on fourth down. Clemson did not attempt. For Clemson in the game, they had 394 total yards of offense, 234 through the air, 160 on the ground. For LSU, they had 628 total yards of offense, 463 through the air, 165 on the ground. Penalties did hurt Clemson, not Clemson, but LSU in the game. 11 penalties, 118 yards. 7 penalties, 65 yards for Clemson in the game. Clemson had the one turnover. It was a fumble. It was late in the game. LSU led time of possession at 34 minutes and 45 seconds. The possession arrow for Clemson was 25 minutes and 15 seconds. So the Clemson Tigers fall the 14-1 and their winning streak. And LSU ends a perfect season 
at 15-0. And they are, in my opinion, the national champion for the season. The absolute national champion for the season. So recapping, we're going to go through it again. Because I know some of you haven't been on our air for a while. We're going to recap the whole bowl scene again. And then we're going to reflect on 150 seasons. This 150th season of college football. It all started December 20th. Again, in two bowl games. As it was Buffalo taking on Clarkston. The Bahamas Bowl. Buffalo, a 31-9 win. The Tropical Smoothie Cafe Bowl. Kent State, 51. Utah State, 41. In the New Mexico Bowl, it was Central Michigan falling to San Diego State, 48-11. Liberty gets the win, 23-16 over Georgia Southern. In the Mortgage Cure Bowl. In the Boca Raton Bowl, it was FAU, a 52-28 win over SMU. Arkansas State, a 34-26 win over Florida International University. 19th ranked Boise State falls in the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl, 38-7. Appalachia State, a winner, 31-17 over UAB in the New Orleans Bowl. In the Bad Boy Gillespie Bowl, Motors Bowl, uh, UCF, a 48-25 win over Marshall. It was also... Hawaii, a 38-34 win over BYU in the Hawaii Bowl on Christmas Eve. On the 26th, in the walk-on Independence Bowl, Louisiana Tech, a 14-0 shutout win over Miami of Florida. It was Pittsburgh, a 34-30 win in the Quick Lane Bowl that took place up in Detroit, Michigan. It was the Carolina, North Carolina Tar Heels, a 55-13 win in the Military Bowl over Temple. Wake Forest falls to Michigan State 27-21 in the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. In the uh, Texas Bowl, Texas A&M a 24-21 win over Oklahoma State. Iowa 49-24 win over USC in the Holiday Bowl. In the Cheez-It Bowl, it was the Air Force Academy a 31-21 win over uh, Washington State. The New Year's Six looked like this. It was Penn State a winner 53 to. 39 over Memphis. Notre Dame, a big win, 33-9 over Iowa State. In the two college football playoffs, like I mentioned before, LSU getting their win and clinching their spot into the final game, 63-28. Ohio State fell to Clemson, 29-23. On New Year's Eve Eve was the first responders bowl as Western Kentucky wins 23-20 over Western Michigan. Louisville a 38-28 win over Mississippi State in the Mortgage Music City Bowl. In the Red Box Bowl, it was Lovey Smith in the uh, Illinois uh, Fighting Illini falling to the Cal Bears 35-20. And it was in the Capital One Orange Bowl, Florida, a winner 36-28 over Virginia. On New Year's Eve, it was the Belkin Bowl as Kentucky gets a 37-31 over Virginia Tech. Arizona State, a winner 20-14 over Florida State in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. The Liberty Bowl saw 23rd-ranked Navy win over Kansas State, 20-17. Wyoming, a 38-17 win over Georgia State. And the Alamo Bowl, it was Texas. The Longhorns, Hook'em Horns, 38-10 over Utah. On New Year's Day, it was Minnesota, a 31-24 win over Auburn in the Outback Bowl. In the Citrus Bowl, it was all Bama. Roll Tide. 35-16 win over Michigan. 
It was Oregon, a 28-27 win over Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. And in the All-State Sugar Bowl, the nightcap saw Georgia, a winner 26-14 over Baylor. Some fi- The final games saw Boston College taking on Cincinnati. Cincinnati will win 38-6 in the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl and the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Tennessee, a winner 23-22 over Indiana. In the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, the Ohio Bobcats, a winner 30-21 over the Nevada Wolfpack. It was Tulane, a winner 30-13 over Southern Missouri. And then in the Lending Tree Bowl, the final bowl game before the national championship game, it was the Raging Cajuns of University of Louisiana, 27 Miami of Ohio, 17. So with that all in mind, let's take a look at the college football as a whole. This season has been one of the best seasons out there. A lot of transparency between teams. A lot of good things coming out of the out of, out of it. Uh, Mike Leake is now in the SEC, which is surprised by me. Um, now... But there's a few moments and a few games that will stand out to me. One of them was that we saw the beginning of the era of Scott Leffler at Bowling Green State University. And his team coming out strong in the season. Even though only winning two games, excuse me, three games out of the season. Against Morgan State, against Toledo, and against... Western Michigan, no, excuse me, Akron, three wins, you know, but that's this is starting point. Three and nine is a good starting point for the year, for your season. And uh, after the year that they had and the teams that they faced, it was difficult for them. But that was one game that the game that really stood out to me though was the Toledo game, finally breaking the hump and beating Toledo twenty to seven out of this college football season was just. Fantastic, and nine years of waiting has finally ended, and 20-7 to 7 will reign supreme throughout the land in the Northwest Ohio area. Of course, Ohio State, with their, the amount of play, the, the amount of team effort that they pro- provided, including Chase Young, the, the standout defensive player, then getting suspended, that was a key moment for Ohio State, but getting the win against against Michigan going perfect and then being beaten by Clemson really hurt their chance hurt their season but uh, I look to see Ryan Day do great things going forward hopefully not first the first week of the season when they play Bowling Green but I look forward to seeing how that's going to happen then we get to Michigan I think it's another disappointing year it was another disappointing year for Michigan in my opinion with the loss to Lost a lot of losses to 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 Alabama in the in the pool game, really capped it off for them. Uh, losing to Ohio State was a key one. Uh, being beaten by Wisconsin early in the season, being not beaten but just victimized and destroyed by Wisconsin, just says a lot. And um, yeah, it's it, it's just going to be interesting to see how Harbaugh does this upcoming season. He's got to recruit really better. He really does, and I hope, hope to goodness, that they they find a way to make games competitive for themselves even more. I mean, look at it. Week two of the college football season, they almost got beaten by the Army. That tells you something. They have to wake up. 
They have to wake up, and they have to wake up now. And it, it it's just a key. It's the key thing for them. If it's got to be recruiting, maybe not many trips overseas, folks. Stick at home. Stay in the U.S. of A. That's what Jimmy has to do. That's what Jimmy has to do. We'll see. For Michigan State, really briefly, I'll talk about this really quickly. Uh, D'Antonio under the hot seat. Um, I think he got a little cool with their win over Wake Forest on the new stripe pin, new stripe uh, bowl, pinstripe bowl. Um, but you know, he's gonna have to do a lot of recruiting, and he's got he's got to mend a lot of fences, and he's got a lot do a lot of rebuilding with that university and with that football program. Does he have the capability of doing it? He's done it before. He'll probably do it again. Um, but losing the big brother, losing some big games, of course, especially the the game for them, the signature game that they lost was the fighting Illini being up so much and just having it just go away and just falling apart. It just tells you something. So 150th season of college football has ended, 151. Coming around the corner, coming up this August. As you are listening to all Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so, so much for tuning in to the podcast. And let's continue to talk about the gridiron. And let's talk a little NFL football, the shock and awe of the divisional rounds. Let's talk about the divisional rounds the NFL playoffs full in swing as it was a great slate of games. Of course, the week before wildcard weekend, we'll go into that first and foremost. Buffalo going into Houston as Buffalo almost beats Houston as Houston gets a 22-19 win over the Bills. The Tennessee Titans, I told you two weeks ago when we did this podcast, I will say it again. I was sh- I was not shocked that Tennessee beat New England. I told you New England was not going to make it through the first round, and look what happened. They get knocked out by the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans as well. With, with, by the way, with no, 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 Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, 8 for 15, 72 total yards of passing, and Tom Brady and the New England Patriots are out of the Super Bowl. That says something. And then Drew Brees the next day playing against Minnesota and Skull. Skull. And Kirk Cousins getting the job done in overtime. Throwing it to Rudolph in overtime for the 26-20 win. And then I told you two weeks ago that Seattle was for real. Seattle got the job done. Only allowing nine points against Philadelphia for Philadelphia as they won 17-9. So that led into this past weekend in the divisional rounds. We'll start first and foremost with the Saturday games. San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo. First time in a while that the, the 49ers have been legitimately contenders in the playoffs. They were the number one overall seed. They welcomed in the same Minnesota Vikings team on Sunday, excuse me, on Saturday afternoon at Levi Stadium 
and it was all Jimmy G throwing a touchdown pass on his opening drive and setting the tone for them as they get the job done and beat the Minnesota Vikings 27-10 to in the game. Kirk Cousins 21 for 29, 172, one TD, one interception in the game for Jimmy G. He was 11 for 19, 131, one TD, one interception in the game. Uh, Cook was had nine carries for 18 yards. Coleman, 22 carries, 105 yards, two TDs in the game. Stephon Diggs had two receptions, 57 yards, one TD in the game. Samuel for San Francisco, three receptions, 42 yards in the game for the 49ers. Bourne had three catches for 40 yards, one TD as well for the 49 for one TD in the game for the 49ers as well. So looking at the stats overall, San Francisco had 21 first downs to the Vikings seven. On third down, the Vikings were two for twelve. The 49ers five for twelve. Both teams 0 for on fourth down, 0 for two for Minnesota, 0 for one for San Francisco. San Francisco had 308 total yards of offense, 122 to the air, 186 on the ground. Here's where it was pretty interesting. 147 for Minnesota in the game. They had 126 total yards of pass offense, 21 yards on the ground for for the Vikings in the game. Minnesota had one penalty for 15 yards. Uh, San Francisco, five penalties, 38 yards in the game. Both teams turned it over twice, two, one fumble and one interception for both teams. San Francisco led the time of possession at 38 minutes and 27 seconds. Minnesota, 21 minutes and 33 seconds. So the Vikings now out. They lose. They're 10 and 6. They're out of the division round. San Francisco moves on to play in the NFC Championship game. They'll be the host team for that. So who would they play? We'll talk about that here in just a second. But the big shock to me was this. Tennessee is for real. After knocking off Tom Brady, they went into Baltimore to battle Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And I told you this a couple weeks ago. Baltimore... Baltimore's one of those teams that, you know... You can't really... They're easy to beat. They are easy to beat. And Tennessee proved it by pounding it right down the middle. Henry, 30 carries, 195 yards. Lamar Jackson, 31 for 59, 365 through the air, one TD, but he threw two picks in the game. He was the offense, and after Lamar Jackson... Brown was the leading receiver, seven catches, 126 yards. But Jackson was all the offense. And when you neutralize him, you neutralize the Ravens. And that's what Tennessee did. Tannehill, seven for 14, like I mentioned, 88 yards, two TDs, no interceptions. Henry was one for one with a touchdown, three yards. Henry, like I said, 30 carries, 195 yards, no TD in the game. Tannehill, six carries, 13 yards, one TD in the game. Henry uh, Raymond, one catch, 45 yards, one TD in the game. Smith, two catches, 12 yards, one TD in the game. Davis, one catch, three yards, one TD in the game. For Baltimore, like I mentioned, 
Lamar Jackson, 31 for 59, 365, one touchdown, two interceptions in the game. He also ran the ball 20 times for 143 yards, no TDs in the game. Ingram, six carries for 22 yards in the game. Brown, seven catches, 126 yards, no TDs in the game. Uh, Ertz, four catches, 53 yards, one TD in the game. Here's where it gets interesting. The Ravens had more first downs, 29 first downs to Tennessee's 15. On third down, the the Titans were 7 for 13, Baltimore 11 for 18. 300 total yards of offense for Tennessee, 83 through the air, 217 on the ground. When you pound it on the ground, you eat up clock. And we'll get to that here in just a second because that's why. But... Baltimore had 530 total yards of offense, 345 through the air, 185 on the ground, seven penalties, 56 yards for Baltimore in the game. Tennessee had five penalties for 20 yards in the game. They also had no turnovers in the game, Tennessee did, but three costly turnovers by Baltimore in the game, two interceptions, one fumble, and Baltimore led the time of possession at 32 minutes and six seconds. Tennessee at 27 minutes and 54 seconds. But in the end, Tennessee, the wild card team that is now, that was eight, excuse me, nine and seven going into the season, going into this game, they're continuing their run. And they move on to the championship, the AFC championship game. Who would they play? Come Sunday, we found out. Sunday, the winner of the Buffalo-Houston game. Would have been Buffalo, of course. I would have, I, I wanted to see the Bills make it further on. But 21 to nothing. Houston led after one quarter, of, after 15 minutes of play. And all of us, including yours truly, thought, you know, it's over. Patrick Mahomes... Gets punched in the face, and he is knocked out for the count. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man. My thoughts of a Kansas City-Seattle Super Bowl, oh, it's going out. And then, stupid moves by Houston cost them a game. Houston was up 24 to nothing on the Chiefs. And then the Chiefs rallied for three touchdowns. Excuse me, four touchdowns in the second quarter alone. Took the lead at half took the lead at halftime, 28 to 27. And then they stepped on the throat. They stepped on the throat. Four touchdowns in the second quarter, and then two in the third before a touchdown by Deshaun Watson, making it 31-41, and then a touchdown and a field goal, and Kansas City gets the job done. Coming back from a 24-0 route and beating Houston 51 to 31, capping them to play Tennessee 
for the chance to play Vince Lombardi. Patrick Mahomes in the game, 23 for 35, 321 total yards of offense, 5 TDs in the game for Houston in the game. Deshaun Watson, 31 for 52, 388, 2 TDs, no interceptions in the game. A high 13 carries, 44 yards, no TDs in the game. But Deshaun Watson also carried the ball 6 times for 37 yards, 1 TD in the game. Hopkins, 9 catches, 118 yards, no TDs. Stills, 3 catches, 80 yards, 1 TD in the game. Fells, 3 catches, 22 yards, 1 TD in the game as well. For Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, 23 for 35, 321, a total of 5 touchdowns in the game. He also carried the ball 7 times for 53 yards. He was the leading pass, uh, leading rusher for them. Williams was the second leading rusher with 12 carries for 47 yards, 2 TDs. In the game, uh, uh, Kelsey, 10 catches, 134. Three of the five touchdowns Mahomes threw were to him. Uh, Sammy Watkins, two catches, 76 yards, no TDs in the game. Uh, Williams, two catches, 21 yards, one TD in the game. The overall team stats look like this. Kansas City had 29 first downs to Houston's 23. On third down, Houston was 5 for 15. Kansas City, 2 for 8. They were running at 25%. That's said something right there. Total plays, I mean, total yards, 442 total yards of offense for Houston, 348 through the air, 94 yards on the ground. Says a lot right there. 434 total yards for Kansas City, 316 through the air, 118 on the ground. Seven penalties, 87 yards for the Houston Texans, four penalties, 37 yards for the Kansas City Chiefs. Both teams turned over the football once, both on fumbles. Kansas City lost the possession arrow. Houston had 34 minutes and 35 seconds of time of possession. Kansas City, 25 minutes and 25 seconds. So Kansas City, a big 51-31 to 31 win. And, you know, uh, O'Brien has nothing, has all the blame for this one. He does. It's just plain and simple. He is all to blame for this one. Plain and simple. You you have the lead. You have the opportunity to get the job done. And you can't capitalize on it. You can't capitalize on it. You are up 24 to nothing. You kick a field goal. That's your first problem. And then you go for it more times on fourth down than anything else. Going back to that game... On fourth down, Houston in the game on fourth down was one for five. There's your answer right there. There's the five touchdowns that you gave up. They scored four, all four touchdowns in the final minutes of the of the first of the first half. Give me a break. Never go for it on fourth down unless you're inches in a playoff game. Inches away. Final game. In Green Bay, the Packers hosting Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. And Devontae Adams comes up clutch. Eight times, eight catches, 
160 yards, two TDs in the game. The Packers hold off Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks by a score of 28-23 to in the game. For Seattle in the game, Russell Wilson, 21 for 31, 267, one TD in the game, no interceptions. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, 12 carries, 26 yards, two TDs in the game. Wilson was the leading rusher for the Seahawks at seven receptions, 64 yards, no TDs in the game. On the receiving end, Lockett, nine catches, 136 yards, one TD in the game. Metcalf, four catches, 59 yards, no TD in the game. For Rodgers in the game, 16 for 27, 243, two TDs in the game. Jones, 21 catches, 21 carries, 62 yards, two TDs in the game. Irvin, two, two carries, 25 yards. Like I said, Devontae Adams, eight catches, 160 yards, two TDs in the game. Jimmy Graham, three catches, 49 yards, no TDs in the game. The overall stats look like this. Seattle, 23 first downs to Green Bay's 22. On third down, they were running at 30%. Three for nine on third down. The Packers, nine for 14 on third down. Seattle, a perfect one-for-one one on fourth down. Green Bay did not attempt a fourth down play. They have 375 total yards. Seattle did a total offense. 265 did the air. 110 on the ground. Green Bay had 344 total yards of offense. 235 through the air. 109 on the ground. Six penalties. 47 yards for the, Kansas, for the, uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. Four penalties. 30 yards for the Green Bay Packers. Both teams kept the football to themselves. Zero turnovers in the game for both teams. Green Bay lost the time of possession, 29 minutes and 29 seconds. Seattle, 30 minutes and 31 seconds. So it is Green Bay goes across the country to battle San Francisco. The NFC Championship game, the last time that these two played against each other in a playoff game, you got to go back to 1995 at Candlestick Park with Brett Farr and the one and only Desmond Howard battling Steve Young at quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. That says something right there. How long these two teams have not played each other. Who do I have in the game? Taking San Francisco to beat Green Bay at Levi Stadium. So San Francisco is your NFC champion. In the AFC, you have Kansas City hosting Tennessee. Now, does the train of Derrick Henry continue to run and be get, you know, blow through the Kansas City defense? Unfortunately, to my friend Brian Keaton, who is a big Tennessee Titan fan, I unfortunately have to say this. I think Patrick Mahomes is better. I think that the train is going to stop for Derrick Henry in Kansas City. So I have San Francisco versus Kansas City for the Vince Lombardi Trophy on February 2nd, 2020. It's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. Of course, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it right here on All Andy Alford, but um, it, 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 it's going to be interesting. I, I wanted it to be Kansas City versus Seattle because you have the two PTO, P, the PRO guys go at it, pass rush, offensive players. Go at it. I felt like that was going to be the better option for them. And um, 
yeah, I, I, I just think it's going to be, it'll be interesting. It'll be really interesting. But, of course, like I mentioned before, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network. And that is with I, either iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Of course, some news and notes in the NFL. Of course, Luke Keekley, the star defensive player for the Carolina Panthers, has announced he is retiring from this pet from for this past upcoming season. Uh, by the way, looking at the going back to the championship games, we'll get to that in here in just a second. But um, it it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, Kittle is with a sore ankle. He is missing practice. He'll be a game time decision going forward against Green Bay this upcoming Sunday afternoon. This seems to be Sunday evening. I'll say this too, the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame made their announcements on who is in and who is not going to be in, unfortunately, for this upcoming season in Canton. And um, it is is very interesting. And uh, Jimmy Johnson going in is the big one for me. Jimmy deserves to go in on this. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just truly, you know, truly good to go see him. But, of course, Drew Person did not get in. He was snubbed. I'm getting into the Hall of Fame. I mean... What else is there, you know? What else is there? And you have Bill Cower going into this into this um, Hall of Fame uh, Hall of Fame ceremony. A lot of good, co- two good coaches going in, and um, it's truly truly going to be amazing to see who else is going to get called in to the Hall of Fame. We'll talk more about that in the upcoming weeks of our podcast, of course, right here on All Andy Alford, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, like I mentioned before, you have Jimmy Johnson going in, Bill Cower going in, you have Paul Tagliabue going in as well too. You have uh, you have Bobby Dylan from the Packers. You have uh, Tackle Wilson Hill going in. You have Don Schnell going in, Duke Slater going in, you have Ed Sprinkle going in, like I said, Bill Cower, Jimmy Johnson, Paul Tagliabue is going in, Steve Slober, the the administrator and president, Steve Slobo from NFL Films, which made you know, the league very, very good. Like I said, Paul Tagliabue going in. George Young going in to the Hall of Fame. I think it's a good class. Max Speedy going in. Cleveland Brown, former Cleveland Brown, going in. Like I said, Don Snell going in as well. 
Uh, Alex Karras going into the Hall of Fame as well, too. Wilson Hill going in. Um, Bobby Dillon going in. Jim Colvett going in. Jim with the Bears, he was he played from 83 to 90. He was part of that Super Bowl team. Uh, Harold Cosmall, like I mentioned before, going in. So these 15 guys going into the Hall of Fame and will be honored with the 100th anniversary of the part of the Centennial class. It is uh, truly a pleasure to see these faces finally going in on August 8th in Shrine in Canton, Ohio. Truly a pleasure. You're listening to All Andy Alford tonight, right here on the Anchor Network. Hi folks, Andy Alford here, the host of All Andy Alford. And I'm here today to talk to you about my friends at the Libby Factory Outlet. Libby is a worldwide company that's been setting tables right just like mine for over 100 years. Whether it be dinnerware, drinking glasses, vases, as well as all your holiday needs, Libby is the company and the store for you. Visit our website at retail.libby.com. Or if you're in the Toledo area, visit us at 205 South Erie Street in the heart of the Warehouse District, two blocks away from 5th Third Field and four blocks away from the Huntington Center. And remember, Libby Factory Outlet, set your table right. It's time to fire the cannon, and it's time to put on your jackets. It's time for the Jackets Report, right here on All Andy Alfred. Oh yeah. I'm playing some Elvis. baby how about Elvis Elvis is in the building and he's between the pipes as this is the jackets report right here on all Andy Elford tonight right here on the anchor network whether it be on iTunes Spotify Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast however you're listening wherever and whenever you're listening thank you so much for tuning in the jackets I think have found a winning goaltender I think here you know Bobrovsky leaving last this past season Corpusalo coming in. Corpy really doing a great job. But this Merlinkus kid is just absolutely fantastic. He is really fantastic. And two games in a row with two shutouts is just absolutely fantastic. We'll get to that here in just a second. But it's time for the Jackets recap, of course, with the Jackets report right here on All Andy Alford. And we last left you, of course, last week. We didn't have our show last week, but we were starting... A huge West Coast road trip. But let's recap what happened two weeks before with the Boston Bruins. Before we get to the game this past last night 
against the Boston Bruins. So we'll recap it with Boston to Boston. The Jackets went into Boston a few weeks ago on the, I believe, the 2nd, yes, the 2nd of January as they took on the Boston Bruins. And the Jackets getting a big 2-1 win over the Bruins. The Jackets starting off behind with David Pasternak getting his 30th of the season on the power play, beating goaltender Elvis Merlinkus as... It was 1-0 Boston before Sonny Milano cashing in his fourth of the season from Nathan Gerby and Alexander Wenberg tying the game at one apiece. And then in overtime on a breakaway, the two-on-one two on breakaway, Seth Jones passes the puck over to Pierre-Luc Dubois, who just beats the goaltender for the Boston Bruins of Tuka Rask. And Pierre-Luc Dubois getting his 14th of the season. The Jackets getting a big win 52 seconds into overtime with a 2-1 win over the Boston Bruins. Dubois, the number one star. Berlinkis, the number two star. And Tuka Rass, the number three star. The Jackets out shooting the Bruins in that game 33-26. The Bruins led in the faceoff dot 66% to 34%. The Bruins one for two in the power play. The Jackets over two. The Jackets out hitting the Bruins in the game. 33 to 25. The Jackets had 15 blocks to Boston's two in the game. Like I said, Merlinkus gets the win. He stopped 25 of 26. His save percentage of a point, 962 in the game. For Tuka Rass in the game, he stopped a total of 31 to 33. His save percentage of a point, 939. So the Jackets getting a big win against the Bruins. They and continuing their point streak at the time. And then Saturday was Kids Takeover Day at Nationwide Arena as the Jackets welcomed in the San Jose Sharks in a 1 o'clock matinee game. And unfortunately, the Sharks got the better of the Jackets in this game and ending the point streak with a CBJ. Both teams did not put up a goal in the first period, but in the second, it was Goudreau getting his 7th of the season from Hurdle. His 17th assist of the season, Goudreau the 7th of the season. It was one nothing Jackets before Zach attack. Zach Borinsky getting on a backhanded shot, beating goaltender Dell. Tying the game at one apiece. Jenner and Felino on the assist. It was one apiece. And then Evander Kane beating Merlinkus, giving the Sharks a 2-1 lead. And the Sharks never looked back. LeBlanc, get, LeBlanc getting his ninth of the season, on the making it 3-1 in favor of the Sharks before Zach Warinski. With at the 17-24 mark of the third period, a snapshot beating Dell 3-2. But that was all that the Jackets could muster as the Jackets fall to the San Jose Sharks by a score of 3-2 in the game. Warinsky was the number one star. Evander Kane was the number two star. Goudreau was the number three star. The Jackets were outshot in the game by the Sharks 28-23. The Sharks led in the faceoff dot 59% to 41%. On the power play, both teams 0 for on the power play. As it was 0 for 1 for the Sharks, 0 for 2 for the Jackets. The Jackets had 2 minutes in penalties, San Jose 4 minutes in penalties. The Jackets did out-hit the Sharks in the game, 24-23. They also blocked them 9 blocks to 7 in the game. Uh, Dell stopping 21-23, his save percentage of a point, 9-1-3 for the Jackets in the game. Was twenty Merlinka stopping twenty five at twenty eight. His save percentage was a point eight nine three. So the point streak ends, and the Jackets ended their point streak and ended the 
streak that they had. And then the huge week last week. We did uh, Andy and Money on Monday as the Jackets were getting ready to take on the L.A. Kings. A four-game West Coast trip, seeing them in in the desert of Vegas to end it on Saturday. Can you believe I'm going to say this, but the Jackets were 3-1 and one on the road trip, and it was all Merlinkus on Saturday night. But let's get to what happened on Monday in L.A., at Staples Center. And I'm going to say this right now. L.A. fans don't show up for the Kings. It was sad to see a lot of empty seats in the lower bowl. I know L.A.'s terrible this year. But, you know, I wasn't expecting the fanship to not be there. I I, I just was, I was just shocked by it. Absolutely shocked by it. But L.A. did get on the board first. From Kopitar and Wallace Alfuno, his ninth of the season, beating Elvis Merlinkus. It was one nothing, Kings before Nathan Gerby getting his second goal this season from Nyquist and Dubois. A snapshot beating goaltender Jonathan Quick. And it was 1-1 midway point of the second period before Scott Harrington getting his first of the season. From Sonny Milano and Nicky Flings, Nick Felino. And it was 2-1 Jackets after 40 minutes of play. And then in the third, the Jackets kept it going. Kevin Stenlin, the kid from Cleveland, coming up. Getting his third of the season from Warinsky. It was third, his third goal of the season. 3-1 CBJ. And then Lewis for the Kings getting it a 3-2 game. Off of a deflected shot from Walker and Clifford. 11-15 mark of the third period on a deflected shot to beat Elvis Merlinkus. 3-2 Jackets. And then Gustav Nyquist in the empty net at the end of the game at the, with a minute to go. His 10th of the season from Dubois. 4-2 Jackets. And that was the final at Staples Center as the Jackets get the big win to start off the road trip for the CBJ. The number one star in the game was Warinsky. Walker was the number two star. Sonny Milano, the number three star. The Kings outshot the Jackets in the game, 37-24. to They also led in the faceoff dot, 64% to 36%. Both teams over on the power play. The Kings out hitting the Jackets in the game, 21-15. to For the Kings, it was Jonathan Quick stopping 20 of 23. His save percentage of a point. 8-7-0 for the Jackets. Merlinka stopping 35 of 37. His save percentage up a point nine four six. So the Jackets could not have any time to take into this victory against the Kings because the next night they went into the pond in Anaheim to take on the Anaheim Ducks. And it was Ryan Getzlaff getting on the board from DeZotto. It was one nothing Ducks. Midway point of the at the beginning of the first period before Eric Robinson, the kid from Cleveland, another call up for the Jackets from Riley Nash and uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, his fourth of the assist of the season, Nash's seventh, and Robinson, his fifth of the season, tying the game at one apiece. Then into the second period, Case getting a snapshot unassisted, getting the 2 1 lead for the Ducks. But then after that, the Jackets. Capitalized. Nathan Kirby again, his third of the night, from third game, third goal of the season from Dubois, 
tying the game at two apiece, and then Zach attacks. Zach Wierenski at the 1949 mark on the power play, beating the Anaheim goaltender Ryan Miller, the former Michigan State standout, former Buffalo Sabre, beating Ryan Miller, making a 3-2 lead going into the third period. And then Wierenski again, his 15th of the season into the empty net. The Jackets were up 4-2 before Case getting his second of the game with night at the 19-16 mark of the third period. Made it close at the end of the game, but in the end, the Jackets getting a 4-3 win in Anaheim and beating the Ducks on the pond. Wierenski, the number one star. Case, the number two star. Seth Jones, the number three star. The Ducks outshot the Jackets in the game 40-27. to They also led in the face-off dot 65% to 35%. The Jackets, however, were one for three on the power play. Anaheim, 0 for two. The Jackets were out hit in the game 26-19. to Ryan Miller stopping 23 of 26. His save percentage was a point. 8.85. Marlinkus again stopping 37 to 40. His save percentage of a point nine two five. So the Jackets getting four points so far on the road trip. Two and zero. Oh. They went into HAP Pavilion Center in Anaheim on Thursday, looking to get another two points. And again, just like how the Walleye are, we'll get to them here in just a second. They could not get the fi- could not find the back of the net against the Sharks. The Sharks were all over the Jackets early on, and they held on as well. LeBlanc in the second period getting his tenth of the season, as it was nothing nothing after twenty minutes. LeBlanc getting his tenth of the season from Heidi and Kane. It was one nothing Sharks before Joe Thornton taking it a two nothing game on the power play, beating Elvis Merlinkus on a wicked slap shot. At the 13-26 mark of the second period. Before Sonny Milano capitalizing on the opportunity on a backhand. Unassisted. Getting it a 2-1 game. And it was 2-1 after 40 minutes of play. And then in the third, Brett Burns steals it for the Sharks. A backhand shot from LeBlanc and Dillon. 2-0-9 into the third period. And the Sharks beat the Jackets 3-1. They take the season series against the Jackets. Two games to none. Aaron Dell was the number one star. The the goaltender, he stopped a solid game for him. He stopped a total of 30 of 31. His save percentage was a point nine eight six. And by the way, Elvis Merlinkus in the game, stopping 30 of 33. His save percentage was a point nine oh nine. Carlson, the number two star. LeBlanc, the number three star. The Sharks outshot the Jackets in the game 33 to 31. They also won in the faceoff dot 56% to 44%. It was the Sharks 1-for-3 on the power play. The Jackets 0-for-2. The Jackets were did out-hit the Sharks 21-14 to 14 in the game. So the Jackets fall to the Sharks. They then hit the desert. A big primetime, big game for the Jackets as they go into Vegas. As Elvis Merlinkus, Elvis was in the building at T-Mobile Arena in the heart of the Strip in Las Vegas, Nevada. And Elvis stood ground. Elvis rocked the place. Elvis took care of the job. And then Elvis left the building. 
Benstrom getting his fourth of the season, starting it off in the first period. A goal for the Jackets in each of the period. Benstrom 1-0 on the power play from Jones and Sutherland. 16-38 mark of the first period. Then in the second, a tip-in shot for Pierre-Luc Dubois from Scott Harrington and Sonny Milano. Made it 2-0 Jackets. And then, the shock of it all. Alexander Wenberg getting his third goal of the season. And it was just a shock. I just couldn't believe that he shot the puck and it beat Marc-Andre Fleury. It looked like he was just throwing it on net. And he did. He did throw it on net. From Sedlund and Gervy. And Wenberg, his third of the season. He's got more goals than he did last year. 3-0 Jackets. And that was the final. As Elvis gets his first professional NHL shutout. His first shutout. As an NHL superstar. I call him a superstar. Because he stood his ground. He stopped all 27 shots the, the, the Vegas Golden Knights put up on him. And he was the number one star. Benstrom was the number two star. Dubois the number three star. The Jackets outshot in that game. 27-22. They also lost in the faceoff dot. 56% to 44%. The Jackets 1-2 for two on the power play. Vegas 0-3. for three. Jackets were out hitting the game. 23 to 29. For Marc-Andre Fleury in the game, he stopped 19 of 22. His save percentage was a .884. Marlinkis stopping all 27 shots that he faced and his save percentage was a one goal save percentage. The Jackets, a big win. Elvis leaves the building with a victory. And then last night at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard, the Jackets Welcomed in the Boston Bruins. Boston, the best team in the NHL right now. And it was some controversy in the beginning, and we're going to get to that right now. Okay? Let me tell you something here, folks. I hate the Boston media more than anything. They are more of a homer than anybody else. They don't give credit towards any good players. And last night, it proved it. It proved it more than anything else. Last night in the game, the Jackets took on the Boston Bruins. And two minutes into the game, Carlo. Brandon Carlo. Checked Eric Benstrom from behind. Cross-checked him. Which then, Benstrom skated, was skating into the crease... And hit Tuka Rask, and Rask goes down with an injury. He went down two minutes into the game. And the players went after Benstrom the entire game. If you look at the replay, like I have looked, all day today, all day today, Brandon Carlo cross-checked Eric Benstrom, and Benstrom, momentum went into Rask, and Rask leaves the game. He had a concussion. His third concussion of his career. Okay. What gives you the right to say that he, you know, that he's a dirty player? What gives you the right to say that? Your own guy cross-checked 
Benstrom into Rask. And nothing that he can do. Benstrom is a small guy, so he has a big stick. And his elbow catches Rask in the back of the head. Rask goes down. Halak comes in. Now, I say this. Halak comes in, replaces Tuka. And then the Jackets capitalize on a goal. 13-27 into the first period. Alexander Wimberg again scoring from Gabrikov and Gerby. It's one nothing Jackets after 20 minutes of play. And it was still one nothing after 40 minutes of play. And then the Jackets kicked it off. Kevin Stenland, his fourth of the season from Felino and Benstrom. It was 2 nothing Jackets. And then Riley Nash, unassisted, beats Halak. 3-0 Jackets and gives Boston their first shutout this season. Gives Merlinkus his second shutout. He has not allowed a goal. I'm pounding some wood right here. He has not allowed a goal in 126 minutes and 47 seconds. That tells you something here, folks. This guy is for real. Merlinkus is real. It sucks that when Corby goes, he's when Corby comes back. Hopefully, I'm not gonna jinx the guy. That's I'm pounding the wood right now on this on this desk as I'm doing this podcast. Luckily, I hope that he doesn't you know doesn't get hurt. You know, we shall see. We shall see. Halak stopping twenty seven of twenty. 24-27, his save percentage of a .889. Merlinkus stopping all 34 shots he took last night, getting the number one star. Wenberg, the number two star. Stenlin, the number three star in the game as the Jackets beat the Boston Bruins by a score of 3 to nothing. The Bruins out shooting the Jackets in the game 34-27. to They also led in the faceoff dot 55% to 45%. Both teams, uh, Boston 0 for 4 on the power play. The Jackets were 1 for 2 on the power play. They out, were out hit in the game 28-17 to in the game. So the Jackets, a big 3-0 win against the Bruins. They continue the run. Tomorrow night, they'll take on the Carolina Hurricanes. 7 o'clock puck drop at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard. Then they will have the New Jersey Devils this upcoming Saturday. And then they will turn around, get on the plane, and head to Manhattan to battle the New York Rangers at MSG. Artemi Panarin is going to be interesting. And then two days off. And then the Jackets will play the Winnipeg Jets. And then it is the All-Star break, the 24th, 25th, and 26th. And then it is the mandatory five-day break for the Jackets. So, of course... The 28th of January, when we do this next podcast, we will have our understanding of what this Jackets team will look like. Because the next game will be not until February 1st against the Buffalo Sabres, which is an afternoon 1 o'clock game. So that's pretty good. Pretty good. But the Jackets, big win against Boston last night. And again, Benstrom is not a dirty player. He's a young kid. Pulling up his stats. I'm going to pull up his stats right now. Okay, Carlo. Like I said, look at the look at the highlight. We'll post it on our Twitter account. Eric Ellen Benstrom, twenty years of age, six foot, one hundred and ninety pounds, 
This guy's not a dirty player. Four goals, seven assists, 11 points. He's a minus one. He shoots right-handed. He's from Sweden. He is not a dirty player. And I hate that the Boston media thinks that he's a dirty player. I really do. He is not a dirty player. So the Jackets taking on Carolina, like I said, uh, tomorrow night at West at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard. The Jackets are 23-16-8. Carolina 27-17-2 into that game. So looking at scores from last night around the NHL, it looks like this. How about Toronto getting a 7-4 win over the Devils? That was a big win for them. Winnipeg shutting out the Vancouver Canucks 4-0. Vegas loses to Buffalo 4-2. And then Gerard Gallant today gets fired as the coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. They hire, of course, they hire the former coach, uh, DeBoyer, Peter DeBoy, who used to coach the... um, the uh, oh my goodness, uh, the Arizona Coyotes, and uh, it was fired on Wednesday. It was the first coach of Golden Knights history. Was hired in the seventeenth, two thousand seventeen. Went one hundred and eighteen, seventy five, and twenty in three seasons with the Vegas Golden Knights, and he made the playoffs the past two years. Uh, Vegas is twenty four, nineteen, seven fifth in the Pacific Division, and tied with Winnipeg for the second wild card race. As uh, they also fired assistant Mike Kelly as head coach as well too. DeBoyer was 15-16-2 with the Sharks this season. And he's 198-129-34 in in five seasons with the Sharks qualifying for the playoffs each season. He is 415-329-11-12 seasons in the NHL behind the bench with the Sharks, the Devils, and the Panthers. So that's where he's from. He's from... He is from San Jose. Other games, of course, yesterday. Big win for Chicago as they beat up on the Ottawa Senators in overtime 3-2. to two. It was the LA Kings losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning in a shootout 4-3. Minnesota with Sidney Crosby coming back to the Penguins. The Penguins propelled to seven goals in the game, two in the first, two in the second, three in the third. The Penguins, a 7-3 win over the Wild. The Red Wings are just absolutely terrible. Four goals allowed in the first period alone as the Red Wings fall to the Islanders, 8-2 on the aisle. It was Dallas, a 3-2 win over Colorado. Nashville loses to Edmonton, 4-2. San Jose loses to Arizona 6-3. Tonight on the docket, you have Chicago in Montreal to battle the Canadiens. The NBC Wednesday night rivalry game sees the Philadelphia Flyers heading into St. Louis for a 8 o'clock puck drop. Tomorrow's slate looks like this. Calgary is in Toronto to battle the Leafs. The Senators are at home to tackle the Golden Knights with the new coach. Pittsburgh is in Boston, the Battle of the Bruins. It'll be the Battle of New York as the Islanders travel across the pond to Nassau Coliseum. The Battle of the Islanders. Sergei Bobrovsky and the Florida Panthers welcome in the LA Kings. The Flyers welcome in the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, New Jersey is in, in uh, the nation's capital, the Battle of the Capitals. Tampa Bay heads in and in to Minnesota to the Battle of the Wild. Anaheim is in Nashville to battle the Predators. 
Dallas hosts the Buffalo Sabres. San Jose is in Colorado to battle the Avalanche. And the Coyotes are in Vancouver to battle the Canucks. Looking at the standings going into tonight's play, this is what it looks like going in. And this is what it looks like. We're going to look at the wild card now, officially now. In the Atlantic Division, the top three teams are as follows. It is the Boston Bruins at 27-9-12 with 66 points. The Tampa Bay Lightning are in second place at 28-14-4 with 60 points. Toronto is 25-16-6 with 56 points. In the Metropolitan Division, it is the Washington Capitals at 31-11-5 with 67 points. Pittsburgh is 29-12-5 with 63 points. And the Islanders are 28-13-4 with 60 points. Wildcard standings look like this. This is a big one for the for us Jacket fans. Carolina is in the first wildcard position at 27-17-2 with 56 points. The Philadelphia Flyers are 24-16-6 with 54 points. The Jackets are 23-16-8 with 54 points. Florida is 24-16-5 with 53 points. The F- Buffalo Sabres are 21-19-7 with 49 points. The Rangers 22 19 and 4 with 48 points. Montreal is an even 500 at 20 20 and 7 with 47 points. The, the uh, Devils are 17 22 and 7 with 41 points. The Senators 16 22 and 8 with 40 points. And the worst team in the NHL resides in the Eastern Conference and it relies 45 minutes north to where we did this podcast in the Detroit Red Wings, who are 12 32 and 3. 27 points. Their next game is at home against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Western Conference looks like this. St. Louis top spot in the Central at 30-10-7 with 67 points. Dallas is 27-15-4 with 58 points. Colorado 25-15-6 with 56 points. In the Pacific Division, Arizona is 26-15-5 with 57 points. Edmonton 25-18-5 with 55 points. And the Flames are 25-18-5 with 55 points as well. Wildcard standings look like this. Vancouver is 25-18-4 with 54 points. Winnipeg is 25-18-4 with 54 points as well. They are also tied with the Vegas Golden Knights, who are 24-19-6 with 54 points as well. Nashville is in fourth spot in the wildcard race at 24-17-7 with 49 points. Chicago 21-20-6 with 48 points. Minnesota even 500 at 20, 20, and 6 with 46 points. The Sharks 21, 23, and 4 with 46 points. The Kings are 18, 25, and 5 with 41 points. And the Anaheim Ducks are 17, 24, and 5 with 39 points. Other news and notes to pass along to you. The NHL is adding a 3-on-3 elite women hockey tournament. It will be uh, 3 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 11 U.S. citizens, 11 women hockey players on each side from Canada and the United States. They will host this during the All Star Skills Competition. And uh, it's going to be interesting. This, will be, this is going to be kind of cool to see this happen. Some of the names for the United States is Alex Carpenter, Kendall Cole Schofield. Brianna Decker, Amanda Kessel, Hillary Knight, uh, Annie Pulaski, Casey Bellamy, Lee Strickle, and in the net will be Alex Cavalleni for the U.S. That's for the U.S. For Canada, it will be Megan Augusta, Melanie Dadquist, 
Rebecca Johnson, Sarah Nurse, Marie Philip Pilo, uh, Natalie Spooner, Barry's Turnbull, Rena Fast, Laura Fortino, and in goal for the Can- Canadians will be Anna Renee de Bestine. They will be a part of this tournament for that will be taking place in the NHL Skills Competition. It will be a three-on-three tournament that will take place head-to-head in 20 minutes, three-on-three tournament in St. Louis on the 24th. Be one of the part of the one six events that will be taking place in the All-Star Skills Competition. Of course, you have the fastest skater, the the NHL Save Streak, the Honda Shooting, the Hardest Shot, and now the NHL the Gatorade NHL Shooting Stars Competition. Looking forward to seeing the the women take the ice with the big boys in the uh, in the All Star Game. Um, other news and notes to pass along. Um, Carter Hart will be out two to three weeks for the Flyers for a low, right lower abdominal strain. Um, that's going to be interesting. Uh, the rosters have been set for the All-Star game. This is what it looks like in the Atlantic Division. It'll be Tyler Bertuzzi for the Red Wings, Anthony Duclair, Jack Eichel, uh, Jonathan Huberto, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, David Pasternak, who is the captain of the team, Victor Hedman, Shea Weber, Frederick Anderson, Andrew Valeski, as well as Tuka Rask, but he has not chosen to play in the game. In the Metropolitan Division, here is the slate for us. It'll be Matthew Barzal, uh, Nico Heshinen for the Devils, Artemi Panera for the Rangers, uh, Travis Koleski from the Flyers, TJ Oshie for the Washington Capitals, Jonathan Carlson for the Capitals as well, Dougie Hamilton for the Carolina Hurricanes. It will be Seth Jones representing the Columbus Blue Jackets, Chris Letang for the Penguins. He is the captain of this team. It will be Braden Hopi and Justin Chori between the pipes. Uh, that's going to be interesting. Um, in the Central Division, it will be Patrick Kane, Nathan McKinnon, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Mark Shifley, Tyler Sagan, Eric Straw, uh, Roman Yossi, Alex Perkondrigal, Palandrico, excuse me, Petrangelo, excuse me, uh, for the goaltending, Jonathan, Jordan Billington and Connor Hellebuck for the, for the, between the pipes, the captain is Nathan McKinnon. And in the Pacific Division, it will be uh, Thomas Hartley, Leon Dreisaitl, Anze Kopitar, Connor McDavid, who is the captain of the Pacific Division, Eric Penderson from Vancouver, Max Pacioretty, Matthew Kachuk, Mark Giordano, Quinton Hughes, the rookie sensation, and in goal will be Jacob Markstrom and David Rinchy for the for the Pacific Division. So the rosters are set. Like I said, the All-Star game, the 25th of January. It's a Saturday night in St. Louis, Missouri. Looking forward to that. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, However you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now it's time for the ECHL, and it's time for the Walleye Roundup. Let's talk a little bit about the ECHL, the premier AA hockey league of the NHL, of course. As we do this podcast from Ohio, of course, and from Toledo, Ohio, which is the AA 
affiliate of the Detroit Red Wings, and that is the Toledo Walleye. But we also talk about another certain team out of Ohio as well, too, that is in the Queen City of Cincinnati, and that is the Cincinnati Cyclones. The Cyclones had some games this past week. We'll talk about them, and we'll talk about the Walleye's woes as well right now. So this past Wednesday, the the, uh, Cyclones headed into Rapid City to take on the Rapid City Rush. And the Cyclones getting a big 4-1 win over the Rapid City Rush. It was Patrick Akin getting his third of the season, of course. But it was Rapid City jumping out to the early 1-0 lead. But it was Quinn into the first period getting his third from Mitchell and Goslin, And then it was Johnson, his 14th of the season from Schultz and Vale. And then Burnley getting his from Schultz and Spencer in the third period, making it 3-1 Cyclones. And then Mitten from Angley and Stordock and the empty netter. And the Cyclones getting a big 4-1 win. Lukanen getting stopping 25 of 26 in the game. Parks stopping 30, uh, excuse me, 28 of 31 shots on the game. The Cyclones or out uh, Cyclones outshot the Rapid City Rush 32 to 26. Cincinnati 0 for 1 on the power play. Rapid City 0 for 4 on the power play. So Past Wednesday, the Cyclones a big 4-1 win, and that started off the weekend in the ECHL, and we'll first start, continue with the same game. Of course, it was a back uh, two games in three days for the Cyclones, and on Friday night, the Cyclones fell to the Rapid City Rush by a score of 5-2. Rapid City's Quinville, his 16th of the season, then Jesse Schultz, his 16th of the season. Quenville having a four-goal game in the game for him. His 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th of the season. It was Schultz, his 16th. Angelis, his 6th. And Suter for Rapid City, his 12th of the season, into the empty net as Rapid City beats the Cyclones by a score of 5-2. Cincinnati out shooting. Rapid City in the game, 34-27. Rapid City 1-for-6 on the power play. Cincinnati 0-for-3 in the game. Lukanen stopping 22-of-26. Selikopoulos stopping 32-of-34 in the game. So, the Cyclones falling to Rapid City on Friday. Let's talk about what's happening in Toledo. Toledo has not been that great against... One team, and that is the Indianapolis Fuel. They played the Fuel two times. They have played the Fuel three times the past two weekends. Have not gotten a win against the Fuel at all. Let's start what happened on Friday. It went to a shootout. The first shootout in the division that took place this past year for both teams. Indy jumped out to a 2-1 to one lead after 20 minutes of play. It was Conklin, his third, and Rudder, his seventh. And then Vera for the Walleye, his ninth of the season. It was 2-1 after 20 minutes of play. Indy then, in the second, gets their second, their third goal of the evening as Kolinsky his tenth of the season for Kruger and Rudder. And it was 3-1 in favor of the Fuel. And then Shane Bershback, his 13th of the season in the third period, making it a 3-2 game, and then Josh Kessner, his 18th of the season from Bershback and bonus. And it was 3-3 after 60 minutes. No scoring took place in overtime in, in, in a shootout. 
Both shooters for the Walleye did not connect. Buzio and Kessner. But both shooters for Indianapolis connected with McIntyre and Kalishny. As the Walleye fall to the fuel by a score of 4-3. to three. Pat Nagel coming back. Starting in this game. Stopping 24 of 27 in the game. He, was two, he let two goals in on two shots. Williams stopping 38 of 41 in the game. He was 0 for 2. He was the... Uh, I thought he was, should have been a number one star in this game, but he was not in the game. So the fall, I fall Friday night, Saturday, they took on the same Indy Fuel team, and they fell. Well, we have one more game for the, the Cyclones. We'll talk about them here in just a second. The Walleye welcomed again Indianapolis again, and the Fish cannot get off of the Fuel as Indy beats them again 3-2. to two. Two goals in the first period for Indianapolis. Dinkman, his second from McDonald and Reuter. And then Sullivan, his third of the season from Conklin. And then in the second period, it was Rudder, his eighth from Plouffe. It was 3-0 fuel after 40 minutes of play. And then Justin Buzio, his 13th of the season from Kessner and Olaski. Uh, it makes it 3-1 in the game. And then Turek, his fifth of the season from Buzio and Olaski at the 16-52 mark of the, sec- of the third period. Making it 3-2. That was the final. Billy Karstopoulos stopping 28 of 31 in the game. Uh, Belaska stopping 34 of 36 as the fuel beat the fish 3-2. Toledo did outshoot Indy in the game 36-31. Indy 0-2 on the power play. Toledo 0-3 on the power play. Uh, other game, like I mentioned before, the the Cyclones finished up their season series with Rapid City. And they got a big 6-2 win on Saturday night as they beat the Rush. It was Mitten, his fifth of the season in the first period before Rapid City's Guerrero, his second of the season, making it a 1-1 game. And then Justin Vibe, his 13th of the season from Schultz and Bardardi. And then in the first period, with less than a, with a second left to go in the period, Edward, his 11th from Debrinket and Akin. And it's 3-1 Cyclones. After 20 minutes of play. And then Vibe again his 14th of the season from Debrook and Debrinket. Making it 4-1 Cyclones. And then Quenville his 20th of the season from Shalom and Israel. Making it 4-2. And then the Cyclones continue the pound on the power play. Jesse Schultz and Brady Vale get the assist from Justin Vibe's goal. At the 9-0-7 mark of the third period. And then Alangali his 7th of the season from Spencer and Debrunk. Making it 6-2, and that was the final in Rapid City as the Cyclones take down the Rush and take two or three of the series over the Rush. The Cincinnati Cyclones outshot Rapid City 32-23 in the game. Cincinnati 1-4 for on the power play. Rapid City 0-4. for uh, Kalopoulos is stopping 26-32. of 32, And Michael Hauser stopping 21-23 of 23 in the game for the Clones on Saturday. Sunday saw the fish then. Take on the Wheeling Nailers in the final game of the homestand. Cincinnati did not play. And the Nailers pound the Fish by a score of 4-1. to one. It all started pretty well for the Fish. They, it was Trudek, his sixth of the season for Orlowski and Spinoli. But then the wheels fell apart for the Fish. It was four consecutive goals in the third period alone for Wheeling. Snembler from Butcher and Amir on the power play made it 1-1. And then Kressberg, his 7th from Mirando, his 7th of the season. Hawkins, his 13th of the season from, from Not in Rostov. It was 3-1 Nailers. 
Nailers, and then Butcher getting the empty net shorthanded goal, making it 4-1. Pat Nagel stopping 26 of 29 shots. Edwin stopping 47 of 48 shots in the game. And Wheeling beats Toledo on Sunday on Paws and Pucks night. I score a 4-1. to one. Toledo outshot Wheeling in the game, 48-30. to 30. Wheeling 1-for-5 on the power play. Toledo 0-for-4. Oh, so the fish fall. And they, for the first time in a season, it's been a full season, the Walleye have lost a full weekend, three games, at home at the Huntington Center. That's the first time it's happened in, a full, in one calendar year. Of course, uh, games... Tonight, of course, on the docket, the Cyclones. Uh, games coming up, excuse me, games coming up this weekend, of course, on the docket will look like this. And it will go as followed here. Just a second here as my, as the system pops up here. Ah, uh, here we go. Uh, Toledo will not play again until Saturday night, 8.05 puck drop. Against the Fort Wayne Comets. As they will be in Fort Wayne Saturday night. Um, so that tells you something right there. That tells you something right there. That you know. After a long stretch. You would figure that. You know. Maybe they could get off the schneid. And get back into the winning wage. But now they've got to sit. And let this. Let this loss settle into them. And that's what really gets me a little bit. You know, it's the inc- for me it's the inconsistent play with this team. It really is. And I like to see us get better. I really do. So Friday night Cincinnati welcomes in the Fort Wayne Comets to Heritage Bank Center Arena on Friday night. Well, I like I mentioned before, we'll play Saturday night at home against, uh, excuse me, on the road against the Fort Wayne Comets. Cincinnati welcomes in Rapid City for a 7:35 puck drop for that one. And then Sunday, the concluding games on Sunday, to uh, Rapid City takes on Cincinnati three o'clock puck drop. In Cincinnati as well. Looking at the standings going into ten, this weekend's play, it has really, really not changed as much. Cincinnati still holding the top spot at thirty at with thirty-eight games played. There are twenty-three, nine and six with fifty-two points. Toledo 20, 12, 3 and one with forty-four points. Fort Wayne is 18, 14, 5 and zero with forty-one points. Indy now nineteen, sixteen, one and zero. With 39 points. Wheeling 17, 16, 4, and 0 with 38 points. Kalamazoo 12, 18, 4, and 0 with 28 points. So that is the updated standings in the ECHL. As you're listening to All NDL for tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now it is time to talk about the scandal happening in Major League Baseball. So when I last left you, we haven't heard, we haven't heard anything yet from the commissioner's report about the whole situation with the Houston Astros. We find out that that 
The Astros cheated their way to a World Series a few years ago, 2017, beating the uh, Dodgers. And um, AJ, uh, AJ Hinch was suspended. So was the general manager. Was suspended without pay for one year. Um, the team was fined $5 million. They have lost their first, second round draft picks. Because of this, and at the same time, too, that after that ruling came down, A.J. Hinch was released, and the general manager of the Astros was fired because of their actions. And all I have to say to that is, thank God that we don't need cheaters in MLB baseball. And I'm going to, this is spinning into an Andy Rantz here in just a second over this, but you cannot cheat in baseball, this is bad. They had equipment out in center field, and they used a trash can to relay signs to the hitter of what pitch it was coming. Now we've had sign stealing in the past, and we've had cheaters in the past, but this is this was bad. This is a bad for the game. This is terrible for the game. And then today, yesterday evening. Alex Cora, who used to be the bench, one of the bench coaches for that Houston Astros team, is now the manager of the Boston Red Sox. He was let go today, and he is going to be facing disciplinary actions because of this situation as well. And now the question is, did Boston cheat their way to the World Series the, the next year with Alex Cora on the helm? It's a bad look for baseball today. It really, really is. We're t- we, we have positive coming out of baseball and, and great things, and then this happens. It just really hurts the game. It really, really does. And I, I commend Rob Manford for conducting this investigation and actually getting the job done with this. I am totally supportive of him and supportive of what he's doing with this team with the, with his team of legal experts and everything like that, and to the guys that cheated, shame on you. Absolutely shame on you for ruining the good game of baseball, the gentleman's game of baseball. You have ruined it for 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 all of us. You should be ashamed of yourself. Absolutely ashamed of yourself. And I hope that, you know, and that for me, Houston's suspension and everything like that and the Hinch and the general manager being fired, they're losing a $5 million and the loss of draft picks. That, to me, is a middle, it's a middle, like a life in prison sentence. They're not going to be good for the next few years. It's a damn shame that this had to happen in baseball. It is a damn shame. Now, the question is, you know, you, you allow these cheaters into baseball, okay? These cheaters are into baseball. Using science stealing and everything like that. But Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame. This gives you absolute leeway to let Pete Rose into baseball Hall of Fame. You could have his bat. You could have his uniform. You could talk about the big red machine, but you can't put a guy into the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. It's done. It has to be done. When you have 
when you have cheaters like A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora and the entire Houston Astros team cheating your way. It's, it's ridiculous. And remember, in 2017, they played the, the Cleveland Indians and swept them in three games. That could have been the Indians winning the World Series, folks. Could have been. But of course. You guys say more? I think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. It it has to be done. And unfortunately, when he dies, that's when I think he's gonna get into the Hall of Fame. It's a sad, sad, sad thing. It really is. It's ridiculous. And it shows it shows favoritism. It shows favoritism. Because favoritism is not needed in sports. It's not needed in life. This is how I'm spinning it into Andy Rants tonight, right here on the All Andy Alford podcast. Because it's time for Andy Rants. Favoritism is is the worst thing that you could ever have when it comes to life. I dealt with it my entire life. Being passed up for show after show. Opportunities after opportunities. Just because one person is liked more than the other. I see it every day when it comes to sports. I see it every day when it comes to life. But remember, don't let it get you down. Don't ever let it get you down. If you don't get that promotion, but they pass it on to somebody somebody more experienced than you. But you gave it so much effort. Because the guy is a man a higher higher rank than you and they're friends and they pass that on to the next guy. That's favoritism. Don't let it get you down. Some people will people out there will see see you. And they'll hopefully make things better for you. It's favoritism. Pass it on. Not really. Show respect to people that earn respect. My grandmother always told me, you know, you have to earn you have to earn everything. It is never given to you. You have to earn everything. You have to learn and you have to earn everything to get in, into life. To make a good life of yourself. You can't ride on people's coattails your entire life. You can't ride on you can't ride on success. You can't ride on you can't ride on a high way of life. You have to make do of what you have in front of you. I say it it's this way. I live this podcast is like a it's beer money, but we have a champagne taste. It's plain and simple. Live with your means and not show favoritism towards people. And earn, learn and earn your respect. Plain and simple. I will say this. Positives out of this whole review is 
Thank God Krispy Kreme is back is open in Toledo. The amount of people that have gone to this place, it has been absolutely outstanding. Hopefully that they know that they see this and they think about opening up a second store. Be like Chick-fil-A's. We got Chick we got what four Chick-fil-A's, three in one area in the one area code. It says something. No, oh, you got three Four, two, three, four. A four in one area code and one in the south. Tells you something. All we need is raising canes. And I would like to have a skyline up here. Make it happen. And that's going to wrap it up for All ADL for tonight. Right here on the Anchor Network. We'll be back. Only the Elfer will be in not this upcoming week, but the following week. We'll have Andy and Money for you guys next this upcoming Monday. Uh, Nick Manu and Devera standing sitting right next to me. We'll talk about sports. Uh, he'll be running the hosting job. I'll be doing all my sports. I'll be doing the sports talk. Looking forward to chatting with him, getting his thoughts on the NFL, and you'll hear my thoughts of the championship weekend. And we'll be diving into the NFL weekend. But until I talk to you guys next week right here on All Andy Elford on the All Andy Elford Network on Anchor Net on the Anchor Podcast Network. I'm Andy Elford saying I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you root for at home. And to my teams. Go Jackets! Go Elvis! Get it done. Let's go Walleye. Go Clones. And let's Go Tigers. Spring training right around the corner. Victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. Have a great week, everybody. I'll talk to you guys next week on Andy and Money right here on the Anchor Network. on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred and on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. This has been a presentation of the AllAndyAlfred Network powered by Anchor.